This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. How we doing, Trev? Ready when you are. Prepare for warp. Course laid in, sir. Request permission to get underway. Welcome, Boomers, to another episode of Warp 5, Trek FM's dedicated enterprise show. I'm your host, Floyd Dorsey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Jeffrey Harlan, a.k.a. Mr. Ataz. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I uh, hit some anomalies on the way in, but I uh, can't tell you too much about that. You know, uh, There's a whole problem with the uh, temporal prime directive. Yeah, yeah, don't 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 tell me anything. You, you might mess, mess up the timeline or... Whatever we got going on here. Um, also, listeners, joining Jeff and I across the table here in the conference room today, we have a new guest for Warp 5. He's the editor of and producer of Metatrex, and he's the host of Continuing Mission, Trek FM's show dedicated to promoting fan-made productions. Say hello to Mr. Dennis Costello. Welcome aboard, Dennis. Hi there. Thanks for having me. I'm a longtime fan of Warp 5 and a big Enterprise fan. I'm very happy to be here with you guys. Cool, cool. Very good. Yes, we're very glad to have you on. Uh, Dennis, since this is your first time on Warp 5, why don't you give us a little background about your Enterprise fandom? Okay, sure. Um, like a lot of people who are discovering Enterprise now, I didn't really watch it at all when it was first broadcast. And there's a really good reason for that. Enterprise came out in September of 2001. I don't know if you guys remember what else happened in September of 2001, but I was living in New York City at the time. I was uh, going to college. I was rooming with my brother. We didn't have cable. And the broadcasting towers for television broadcast, if you're taking your shows out of the air, they were on the Twin Towers. So for the longest time after Enterprise started, I just didn't have television. And um, I remember that New York City was quite uh, – it was – I'll just come out, I guess, and say that it was a little bit depressing with all the news that was out. Everything was constantly 9-11 this, 9-11 that. And not only did we have trouble receiving television, I just – kind of avoided watching television of any kind, even when they later moved the towers to the Empire State Building. So it wasn't until years later that uh, by the time I think Empire, uh, Enterprise was was off the air 
and I had rediscovered my Trek fandom that I remember, oh, God, there was this entire series, Star Trek series I'd never really watched. And I went back through Netflix, and I watched them, and I absolutely loved them. I could not understand what all the controversy was was about. I had heard a lot about Enterprise. Oh, this and that. It wasn't as good. There was this song. There was all this stuff. And I was thinking, oh, well, maybe it's good that I never watched it. You know, I, I dodged a bullet. But then I went back and I watched it. And I, and I was like, what was everybody talking about? This show's great. And so that's where I am today. I'm a big Enterprise fan. It's my second favorite Star Trek behind the original series. And I love talking about it. Man, that that's funny. Your experience is so similar to mine because the I was coaching basketball at the time and here in Dallas, I was living in Dallas and same thing happened when 9-11 happened. I didn't watch TV. I just didn't I just didn't want to watch TV. I was work focusing on teaching and coaching and I just I don't know. It was just a weird. But a few years later, I found it on Netflix. I was like, yep, here's another Star Trek that I haven't watched. I need to go ahead and watch it. I don't know what the problem is, man. It looks like the original series. That's my favorite also. And it's, it sounds exactly the same. Our, our experience is sounding almost exactly the same. So that's, that's very cool. So Dennis and Jeff, both of you were able to attend the special Star Trek Beyond fan event last week. I'm so jealous. I was looking at your pictures online and on Facebook and on the Babel conference and I, it was funny. I actually forgot about the event. And I, when I saw your pictures come up, I was like, oh, yeah, that Vince to come in tonight. And I showed it to my wife. I got in trouble from my wife. I have to say she was she said you had an opportunity. You could have gone to that. <laughs> and she kind of saw it as a chance that she, you know, I didn't even think about her wanting to go to L.A., you know, and do the Hollywood thing. And I, I didn't even, I just, I completely forgot about it. I have all this other stuff going on with work. My sons are playing basketball and all that good stuff. But man, I was, it was so exciting to follow along and look at all the pictures and see all of you there and then see all of you there together. That was so neat. So Dennis, tell us a little bit about your experience. Like how are you still like so excited about it or how, how was that? Well, I tell you, I had a lot more fun than I thought I was going to have. People who read the Babel Conference probably know that I'm not the biggest fan of the of the JJ films. However, I'm not a JJ hater. I'm I want every Star Trek movie to be fantastic. I go into the theater thinking it's going to be great. I'm ready for it to be great. And then if it's not great, I'm just kind of okay. It wasn't. But you know, then again, I also don't hide from the fact. Okay, it wasn't great. I accept you know. I got to admit, it wasn't great, and I'm not going to say it was if I don't think it was. But I want Beyond to be great. I want the trailer to be great. So I went into this thinking, okay, we're going to see a better trailer. We're going to, Maybe we're going to see a, a clip or two. But I had no idea what they were going to have planned for us and the whole thing with the Leonard Nimoy way and sh- the, all the costumes and production design stuff that they had on display and the, the questions and answers and the trivia contest, and but especially – the 10 minutes of footage they showed from the movie. Now, a trailer, I mentioned this on the Patrons Roundtable. I was on that a few days ago. And I work in the entertainment business, and I understand that trailers aren't necessarily for the fans. The fans are going to go to a Star Trek movie anyway. The trailers are for the non-fans. They're there to convince somebody who might be on the fence to go and see the movie. And so they're going to be a lot more kind of uh, accessible 
to somebody who just wants to have a good time and see a lot of action and, and cool stunts and stuff like that. So I don't get too bent out of shape if the trailer is, is whiz bang. But then they showed this footage and this footage was so good. It was just, it just reminded me of scenes from the original series. And I just thought, okay, I, I know that at least 10 minutes of this movie is going to be great. I don't know about the, the rest of it, but at least the 10 minutes that I saw is going to be great. I do want to put a little caveat on that, that I consider the Enterprise a living, breathing character. <laughs> and I don't like seeing it get blown up or destroyed or whatever, but I'm really willing to reserve judgment, uh, especially since it seems to be like an, an incident that starts the ball rolling, starts the story going. So I'm willing to, um, to see how it goes. All right. Very good. So a little, little bit of a tease there from, from Dennis for the, the 10 minutes. Yeah. I had no idea it was going to be such a big deal. Like I had no idea. I took, I, I kind of put it out of my mind that it was happening because I would have to fly to LA and, you know, miss work and do all those, all those things. And now in retrospect, dude, I would have been on a plane quickly if I'd have known it was such a big deal and they were going to do such a big thing. That was so awesome. So Jeff, tell us, I mean, what did, what was it like for you? Um, it was very similar for me as it was for Dennis. I mean, I was, I was expecting the Q and a, I knew that was going to come. They were going to have, you know, some, some of the actors, they were going to have the director and the producer come out. They were going to talk about the film and we'd get some questions from the audience. Um, some questions from the internet, I was expecting that. I was expecting to see the trailer, maybe a short clip or two. I was not expecting somewhere around 10 to 15 minutes of footage from the movie. That was uh, a, a surprise. And I loved that footage. Even if I didn't love everything that uh, is going on in the story, I love that they approached it and they gave the characters and everything about it the respect that it deserves the dialogue has tons of in-jokes for the fans. Little things like the ship designs. Uh, we already saw they released a few months back the design for the Franklin, which is another ship in this movie. We got more of a, a view of it in the trailer, and it looks even more like it's some logical extension of the NX-class design taken forward just a little bit. And it also looks like it's kind of like a mix between... That, um, you know, the, the NX class and the Lochnar class from the old FASA RPGs, because, you know, that came out back in the 80s and the design was very close to uh, the uh, the NX class just for like a 23rd century aesthetic to it. And so this had, you know, the same basic design with the JJ universe aesthetic to it. And it was it was great. I, I really enjoyed that. The new Starbase that they designed looks just phenomenal. And everything about this movie, I was just blown away by it. They showed, after the clips, they opened up a curtain. They had like a party where, um, you know, uh, Justin Lin and Zachary Quino and some of the others, they were all mingling with us and kind of going around and, you know, just uh, chatting with us and saying hi, you know, thanks for coming, that kind of thing. And they had props, they had costumes. All this yeah, stuff on display. Yeah. I got a photo of myself with my wife sitting in the captain's chair from the Enterprise. And it it was a great time. Um, and the dedication of Leonard Nimoy Way was done just 
some really nice words from Zachary Quino uh, talking about how uh, Nimoy took him under his wing and kind of showed him the way and helped him learn, you know, where things were on the lot. And now he's saying, you know, he made a comment to, to the effect that now with this street name, Leonard Nimoy Way, that will be a guidepost for everyone else. So he will continue to show people where things are on the lot. And I thought that was really, uh, really nice and uh, touching comment. Well, that's great. And I've, I've yeah. got to say, I was so excited watching the coverage, but now actually hearing you all talk about it, it just makes me that much more excited about this movie that we've got coming. And then we've got the series coming. But in the meantime, we've got Enterprise to talk about. Mm-hmm. So um, for today's show, we're actually going to dive back into the Warp 5 Enterprise retrospective. And we'll pick it back up with the first half of season two. We've actually received a lot of positive feedback from you, our listeners, regarding our coverage of season one earlier this year, with many listeners noting that they love supplementing our Enterprise-centric takes on the episodes to go along with the From There to Here coverage. So I've actually had some listeners just straight tell me that they couldn't wait to hear our takes on the episodes that they heard the from there to here and they liked it. It's, it was covered, but they knew that we were going to come with optimism and biased discussions. So I thought that was kind of funny. It's a good, this is a good kind of bias to have, you know, we're biased for enterprise. So if well, I can't do flocks smile, but you know, we got the optimism going. <laughs> exactly. Optimism. So yes, if you're wanting some enterprise bias, we've got you covered boomers. So yeah, we're also going to change the way that we actually do the retrospective series a little bit. Uh, instead of going episode by episode, as we did for season one, We're going to do a little more economical with our coverage. We're going to discuss topics, characters, situations that stand out to us in the first half episodes for season two, rather than go episode by episode. So we're actually going to discuss everything that stands out to us in the first half of the season. And we can do the whole season in two shows like that. So we may have some overlap as we're discussing, and we may leave out something that you would have liked for us to point out. So if that is the case, please let us know what stands out for you in the first half of season two. We love reading and responding to your comments on the show posts. So just let us know if there's something, another episode that really stands out to you. I'd love to hear why. I'd love to hear everyone's take on the Enterprise. And then there might be an episode that maybe it's not standing out that much to me. But then I hear someone say that this is the greatest thing ever. And man, that just helps so much. It helps all of us. So yeah, let us know. So for our season two first half retrospective, we're going to be talking about episodes starting with Shockwave. Then we're going to go on covering Carbon Creek, Minefield, Dead Stop, A Night in Sick Bay, Marauders, The Seventh, The Communicator, Singularity, Precious Cargo, The Catwalk, and Don, and that'll be our first half episodes that we're actually going to be talking about. Now, again, we're not going to go episode by episode. We're not going to start at the top and work our way down. We're just going to, what stood out to us in those episodes. So Dennis, let's go ahead and kick us off on this retrospective. What's the first thing that you want to talk about in this group of episodes? Well, perhaps the first thing to discuss is the temporal cold war. 
right? It is the bridge of Shockwave is actually the second half of a two-parter that ended. It was a kind of a cliffhanger from season one to season two, and it's a temporal Cold War story. But what I wanted to bring up about this was that I it seems a little odd that in 13 episodes, an entire half a season, it's just not mentioned again. Right. And it gets a little lost, I think, for viewers. Uh, there's a perception out there that the temporal Cold War doesn't quite work out as a storyline. And this could be part of that reason that they just leave it kind of lying fallow for so many episodes that instead of like hitting it every third, every second or third or fourth episode, they just leave it go for 13 or half a season or I think even longer before coming back to it. That's a little bit of a mistake. I think it shows that they weren't really invested in it as much. But as far as the season starting off, Shockwave being the second half of a two-part cliffhanger is a good, strong way to start the start the season. And then we have our second episode, which is Carbon Creek. And I think that's a fan favorite. It's a really good episode and one of my personal favorites where – to Paul is relating a story of her great, great, great grandmother, something of that nature, who visited, who actually was with some Vulcans who visited Earth in the 50s. And I loved it because it's a story that doesn't really involve any of the Enterprise characters. They're completely new characters. It's a fish out of water story, Vulcans in 1950s kind of rural America or small town America, rather. And I just love it. It's a great episode. Very good. Yeah, taking that back to Shockwave, that was interesting how it was. It ended on a cliffhanger, and then something funny that I had in it. You know, I mean the the temporal Cold War. Yes, they should have. I feel like they should have brought it in more. It, it's it's almost now that we can binge watch. You might as well just go ahead and do your temporal Cold War arc. You know, when you're you know, just go ahead and string them together and watch it and see what it looks like. But here on Warp 5, our listeners, they probably know that we've we've actually attributed some things that could have happened or especially that the last episode when we were talking about inconsistencies could have actually been attributed to the temporal quote war. So it could, you know, some people say they didn't like it, but man, it is really it makes an option to really write something original, you know, like to maybe add something in that was surprising. Now, a funny thing about it is the thing I think back of that episode is uh, Silix. Basically, his aerials got static. You know, it's like from when I originally watched the original episode, he's not getting a very good signal. He needs to turn his aerial or adjust his bunny ears a little bit because he's just not quite getting the static. And another thing. tinfoil on it. Exactly. Exactly. And then he's actually banging the device with his hand, like trying to make it work. I mean, it's like it's almost like it's a remote. You know, is he going to yeah. is he going to take off the cover and like run his thumb over the batteries, you know, to make sure it's working correctly? <laughs> you know, but that, that's what I that's what I see on that. That's kind of my headcanon for uh, Silic and his uh, trying to op- operate that device. But yeah, um, Jeff, did you did you have anything on the Shockwave part two? Um, yes, I did. Uh, first, I thought it was interesting how they established right here how vital Archer is to the future of the timeline. I mean, just taking him out of history at this point completely destroys everything to come. And on the one hand, it's saying, yeah, this this character, this crew are absolutely vital to the Star Trek history that we have come to know. But at the same time, it kind of tied their hands a little bit because now it's kind of hard to believe that he's ever going to be in any real danger from this point on. Like I've said before, I really enjoy time travel episodes, but... This kind of made Daniel seem incompetent (laughs) because 
he should have known that taking Archer out of the timeline would have had some kind of effect if he's that important to history. <laughs> yes, yes. That is true, actually. Uh, I hadn't actually, yeah, hadn't thought about that. It seems like you'd have your top agent, though, working with Archer if he is that important but maybe yeah. maybe there's something else going on somewhere you know maybe the doctor he's he's doing his thing you know other than the episode that we had for him maybe maybe they're 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 having to corral somebody down the line but um dennis had mentioned carbon creek as being a fan favorite uh jeff did you have anything on carbon creek uh yeah i love this episode i thought it was absolutely brilliant like we've mentioned in the past i studied history in college and there is so much more to history than what gets taught in schools a lot of the times. If you dig deep enough, you can find there are so many untold stories that are just waiting to be discovered. Or they've been discovered, they just don't get talked about a lot. And this tied right into that because there's this whole early contact with Vulcans that nobody knows about because basically it got covered up. And the Vulcans didn't think it was important enough to mention to us. Uh, and... I just loved that aspect of, you know, it's basically it's forgotten history and it had some great references in there. You know, the whole bit with one of the Vulcans just, he has to be home to watch. I love Lucy and Star Trek would not exist without. I love Lucy. Yes. Yes. I love that little reference there. Because yeah. Lucille Ball created the, uh, you know, she, she and uh, her husband created Desilu studios and Desilu studios is the one that made Star Trek in the first place. I mean, without her, there would not be Star Trek. So the, having a mention of I Love Lucy in a Star Trek episode is perfect. The ultimate yes. the ultimate shout out, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's also historically accurate because mm-hmm. I Love Lucy was hugely popular. Oh, yes. Hugely popular and very funny. I don't know if you've had a chance. If you've ever had a chance to watch any of those. Mm-hmm. I used to they watch They were really the funny. Yeah. Very good. So Carbon Creek was actually nominated for a Hugo Award and uh, not in sickbay was also nominated for a Hugo Award for this part, uh, this group of episodes that we're watching here. So yeah, that I, I was I liked Carbon Creek. Uh, the first time I saw it, it kind of threw me back a little bit. But a lot of things about Enterprise did when I first saw it. I just wasn't kind of in the right frame of mind, I guess you could say, about it. But yeah, I I enjoy it now. So Dennis, what's another episode that stood out to you, or a situation, or a topic, or character? Well, there's the the seventh. The seventh is an interesting episode for me because it's so it shows another side of, of the Vulcans, right? It's something that we never expected to see, especially as you are familiar with uh, Vulcans as they're portrayed in the Next Generation, Voyager, Deep Space Nine. You never expected to see things like them doing what they did in the seventh, and yet, to me, it never caused me a problem. Because I always considered this is a Vulcan that's very different politically, even without seeing the events of season four and a price season four and knowing how Vulcan is going to go, you know, go through these changes that they're going to go through. I noticed that it's pre-Federation. There's going to have to be some difference. Uh, it, it would be really odd if the pre-Federation Vulcans were politically as stable and the way they dealt with other races was the same as the post-Federation Vulcans. It, and I love the fact that, yes, they were different. That I love the idea that, yes, when Vulcans and humans first met 
there was some friction. They became friends and they were cooperative, but there was some friction. And I also love the fact that, well, when Vulcans are on their own, they don't have the rest of the Federation to kind of lean on or to look to for help in defense, that they're going to be, they're going to take a little bit of, of a sharper view of protecting themselves and defense. And that's all that seemed completely natural to me. And I never had really a problem with it. So when I watched the episode, the seventh, I loved it. I didn't have a problem with it. I liked the fact that T'Pol had a history. I mean, she's, she's much older than she appears. She would have a history. She would have quite a number of adventures and things that she'd gone through and done. And I liked seeing that. Yep. The seventh, it is one of those examples where people are, you know, maybe if they're having a hard time with a prequel and like you said, over a hundred years of change for a species. And if everyone was comparing to Spock, who wasn't even a hundred percent Vulcan himself. So yeah, this, this was one of the episodes that a lot of people like to put out there is, Oh no, it's inconsistent. This isn't how Vulcans act. This isn't, this isn't right. But yeah, it was a very interesting story on this, you know, with the undercover and the kind of the, the secret service sort of jobs that they had. I thought that was very interesting. Also on this episode, if listeners, when you go back and watch it, if you want a little something extra, for some reason, Travis really stood out to me this episode. And everybody might be like, Travis, he stood out. I don't really remember Travis. Well, Travis went with them. He went with Archer. He was the pilot. He was kind of the backup. Yeah. Honestly, he didn't have that many speaking lines in the episode, but he was a boss. If you'll just watch how Mr. Montgomery was working that time that he had, he didn't have much to work with, but watch him. He is so serious. He does a really good job. I think for not even getting to talk and be in the spotlight, I'm watching him. The last time I watched the show, it really, he caught my eye at one point and he wasn't even the one talking, but I'm watching him in the background and like what he's doing. So yeah, that's kind of a different take for everyone. And when you go back to rewatch this episode, uh, take a look at Travis and see what he's doing. So Jeff, did you have uh, anything on the seventh? Well, I think it's only logical that the uh, Vulcans would be sending people to deal with threats to security. Even in the original series, the Vulcans weren't the Vulcans. I mean, what the the image that everyone has of them mostly comes from Spock, who is trying to be more Vulcan than Vulcan. Uh, kind of like Worf, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Worf, yeah. He's like, he's trying to be a textbook Klingon. He runs into other actual Klingons and they're like, dude, take the stick out. <laughs> you know, and I, I kind of get that same impression with Spock. He's trying to be more Vulcan than all the other Vulcans. And that's where everyone gets their idea of what a Vulcan's supposed to be like. And it's not really the case. When he goes to Vulcan in a mock time, none of the other Vulcans act like he does. They act more like the Vulcans in Enterprise, yeah, to be honest. That's an excellent point. And there's a something else I want to add. In Mirror Mirror, right, when Sulu is on the, on the intercom to Spock and saying, are you going to follow through on what Kirk hasn't done? Because if... You don't. I'm next in line. That kind of thing. And Spock says, something happens to me. My operatives will avenge my death. And some of them are Vulcans. And Sulu literally gulps, right? <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> so that was a threat in itself. And that should tell you something about how Vulcans. You, know, yep, you can... see a bead of sweat. <laughs> yeah. And I, like I was saying, it, it's only logical that they would take steps to 
ensure their security. And when they don't have the rest of the Federation there to, you know, back them up, they have to take, you know, take charge and take the lead. And it makes total sense that they would have these kind of security forces. So, Jeff, what was another episode or topic or situation that stood out for you in this first half of episodes? Um, A big one for me was Minefield. One thing I loved, you know, it introduced the Romulans to Enterprise in a big way. I mean, you see this Romulan ship and it didn't quite match up to what they said in the original series, but it was really good nevertheless. But it did raise a lot of questions for me because, you know, the cloak wasn't really necessary, but the Romulan attitude in that episode was spot on. These aliens come stumbling into their territory. They're going to do whatever they feel like they need to do to get them out and say, stay out, leave us alone. And they are not going to show up on screen because up to this point, the Romulans aren't interested in dealing with anybody else unless they're taking them over. One thing I thought was uh, very interesting, though, was when Hoshi is translating what they're saying and she's trying to translate their name and she's kind of garbling it. To Paul is the one that corrects her and says Romulans. Right. Which means the Vulcans know about the Romulans and they know a lot more than they're letting on. So I'm wondering, do the Vulcans at some level in their security clearances, do they already know about the connection between the Romulans and the Vulcans? You know, maybe this is something that's really super classified and only a few people know it. Maybe she knows it because of her background as a security operative. But uh, it's also very interesting. And then that ties in with season four because we see in season four that some of the Romulans are infiltrating the Vulcan government. Yeah, actually, also, Archer knows of the Romulan star empire. Right. Mm -hmm. Because of the book that he wasn't supposed to look at. So that brings us. He saw the title. That's all he knew. Right. And that brings us back to Shockwave Part 2 there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the Romulans. Anytime we get to talk about the Romulans, I always like to wear my Romulan uh, recruiting orientation Mm T-shirt that they handed out to me. But it's, yeah, it it was a great way to get your toes wet with the Romulans because this was kind of like the very tiny little first steps that lead up to the Romulan War in a few years. Yep. And this was a perfect way to introduce it with we come into a Romulan minefield without realizing it and we're basically having an interstellar incident because we ran into a cloaked mine that we didn't know was there because the Romulans are so paranoid about everything that they're keeping everything tightly under wraps and we just stumbled in. And again, like just touching back on our episode last time, uh, talking about the inconsistencies, this was one of the things we talked about was why do the Romulans have Mm -hmm. the cloak? And Tommy actually had a really cool point, Dennis. He had mentioned, what if it wasn't really a cloak cloak like what we had in the 23rd century? What if it was the holographic technology Mm -hmm. that they used in season four when they had the holographic ship? So I thought that was that was pretty cool. You know, what if yeah, what, what, Tommy and I were both saying that, which is kind of funny because he and I seem to, to be on the same wavelength on these kind of things. Yeah, that was, but, that was uh, really neat. Yeah, I mean, they, they could have been using holograms to make it look like, you know, the space behind them was projected in front of them or something. You know, um, any any number of things. Or it could have been, you know, 
there were the cloaking devices that the Suliban had that had been given to them from the future. Maybe they stole one of those and it had altered the timeline. Yeah. The anytime, anytime we get to talk about Romulans, I always like to, uh, I could bring it in because I mean, when I saw that the first time and I saw how sweet that ship looked, Oh man, that was, yeah, yeah. that just made me, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. It had to have come because we've got the Romulan war and we've got to see them sometime for the first time. But yeah, it actually turns out that the Vulcans may have already known, or at least some Vulcans already knew about it. Yeah, I was I was kind of hoping it would happen. I knew it wouldn't, realistically speaking. I was kind of hoping that when we heard the Romulans speaking in Romulan and Hoshi's translating and she mentions Romulans, I was kind of hoping that they would call themselves the Rihansu, and that's from the novels from the 80s. You know, that would be cool. That would be cool because that's not Romulan. Why would they? You know, why would they call themselves Romulan, which sounds so much like Roman? Right. right. You know, maybe call themselves something else that sounds slightly similar, but you know, close. I know it's not going to happen because you know the uh, the whole issue with the uh, the the rights and you know the back and forth between the uh, the writers and of the novels and uh, CBS Paramount. Right. Well, just Paramount at the time, but yeah. Well, another episode that I thought was really cool in this one was dead stop i always look forward to that episode when it pops up on the screen you know when i'm watching netflix or when i'm doing a rewatch man this i love this episode i really really like the the idea of this episode and plus we've got some continuity they were damaged because of the minefield and it was still there there's no reset button because there's nowhere to get fixed out there and it turns out they kind of find a gas station you know or a repair shop on the side of the road and this episode was nominated for an Emmy for uh, special visual effects in a series. So that was that was pretty cool. And I just I love this episode. I just I really I really like it. What I thought of for this episode was that this would have been a really neat something to come back to for a movie. Yes. I was for thinking, an Enterprise yeah, movie. Yeah. And then it turns out right when I said that. Christopher Jones, I actually said on the Babel conference, uh, Trek FM's listener uh, page on Facebook, uh, I mentioned that idea. And then Christopher said to me that uh, Christopher L. Bennett probably has an idea similar to what you're thinking of. And then it, he actually was <laughs> writing the, the Rise of the Federation series at that time. So that was pretty cool. So what, what do you think about that episode, Dennis? Well, it really fires my imagination. I just wonder who created that. And why, you know, why there's got to be a reason who benefits from that. And it just seems to me like a fantastic pre-invasion device, right? You put something up here and, and you, instead of putting all this time and energy into infiltrating spies and gathering intelligence and all this, you let them come to you. And people will willingly, if they think they're going to get something for free or get something cheap, they'll come to you. And now you downloaded full schematics on all their technology and uh, their biology and everything about them. And, you know, you underwrite, you know, you kind of give away all these repairs because you're getting all this intelligence on every single advanced technology race in that sector. And then eventually the thing just kind of closes up shop and heads back to its home base. And there you go. Pre-invasion. I'll, you know, you know, everything you need to know. I, that's kind of, uh, you know, kind of, like I said, it fires my imagination. It would be fun to see something like that. I just wonder why is it there? What's going on? I would have liked to have heard more about it, more races referring to it 
you know, more races using it or becoming more of a hub of activity. Because I think that a lot of races would, I mean, if it could do what it could, it could really do that. And if it stayed in that place, people would be using it. Don't you think other races would be using it? Yeah. That actually sounds like maybe a season five original episode, right? Maybe we might be able to take care of in warp five. Cause I really like the idea of that. Plus it really, the station really reminded me of the original, uh, the motion picture, you know, yeah. like the, that it just, I don't know. It just, it gave me, it just seems so familiar and it was just such a neat concept and yeah, it's genius. It's genius. Lay this thing down and people actually will give you all the information you want. You know, just put that thing out there and here we go. So. And it wouldn't be too hard to tie that into the temporal cold war either. That's true. I suppose not. No. Or, you know, remember the Andromedans from the original series? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the Kelvins. Yeah. I often think of, you know, you know, those, I'd like to see them show up again. Do they just send oh, one yeah. scout ship in, you know, the enterprise is the only one that they dis- that they ran into. I, I, you know, I'd like to see them return. It would be fun if this was like something that they had put in place for a hundred years or something to gather data. And then the, uh, what the enterprise ran into was the vanguard of their kind of invasion force based on what they learned you know, from this, the, uh, from this, uh, the, the Kelvins did say that wasn't their native form. So, you know, where did they get the information about what a human form looked like? Oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very good. So Dennis, what was another, uh, something else that stood out to you in this first half of, uh, episodes? Well, I, I guess now's the time to talk about catwalk, the catwalk. I, I love that episode. That's one of my all time favorites. I just love the idea of seeing a part of the ships that you've never seen. It always had to be there. You figured it's got to be there. There's space in that in those nacelles where um, repairs have to be made and, and stuff. So they've got to be able to move around in them. And to see that area, and I love that whole idea that while they're in that storm, that then their ship is boarded. It's just I just loved everything about that episode. I don't know. Did, I don't even see... I don't see any downside to it. I don't see anything that you could possibly pick apart about that episode. It's a great one. Yeah, I liked I liked it. I actually wrote down in my notes it was camping out in the warp cell, warp nacelle. Uh that that was that was cool. And and you had the story, but yeah, just anything about it was weathering the storm. I mean, it was getting back to the old sailing style, you know, we're batting in down the hatches. We're getting uh, hiding away from the storm that's coming. Um, yeah, that was that was pretty neat. I, I like that one. And I think this is only the third time we've seen the inside of a warp nacelle on Star Trek. Uh, the the first time was in the animated series when they were inside of that uh, antimatter cloud creature from uh, one of our planets is missing. And another time was in uh, the Next Generation uh, with uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the episode. I think it was like Eye of the Beholder, where they had like the the false memories or something, and they the guy that worked up in that area and, and then this episode and the inside of the warp nacelle looks nothing alike in any of those three episodes. So clearly there's some kind of radical shift in technology over the course of a couple of hundred years. So, uh, Jeff, what was another situation that stood out for you? Um, one thing for me was, uh, Marauders, uh, how we have, uh, the Enterprise is basically arming and inciting to riot a uh, a bunch of uh, 
people who are subject to Klingon jurisdiction, which just totally ticks off the Klingons and adds further uh, uh, oil to the fire on uh, uh, how much they just absolutely hate us, which then ties right into uh, um, comments by uh, Spock and Picard down the line uh, talking about early contacts with the uh, the, the Klingons led to uh, like a century of war. You know, this is just one more thing where the Klingons are just losing their patience with us. And uh, eventually they're just going to snap and come to war. That episode, it's a fun one to me. I uh, actually, I remember watching it on my last rewatch with my sons and they had a good time with it. You know, like they're showing them getting ready for a fight. And uh, when T'Pol was showing them some, some Vulcan jujitsu or whatever they called it. Um, my sons, they, they liked it. They also liked the boy. So I could really see why it's good to have a child sometimes in the episodes. Uh, some some fans are like, ah, why is the kid in there? You know, but the my sons, as long as it's written well, I mean, go ahead, go right? For it. My sons liked the boy, and that was the that was the eyes for them. They were seeing it through his eyes of what it would be like to be in that situation, or to see to to want to go on the ship, or to receive the schematic of the ship. So I thought that was that was nice. That was nice. We don't actually see that many children in this series. And that time my boys actually pointed it out to me. They, they thought that was pretty neat. Okay. So Dennis, uh, were there any other situations or topics or anything else that stood out for you in this group of episodes? Well, there is one that I do kind of want to mention and that's precious cargo. And I wanted to mention it because I think it's an interesting companion piece to uh, unexpected. Is that the episode where trip gets pregnant? Yes. Well, so here in, in Unexpected, Trip goes through what he believes is just kind of a harmless flirtation with this alien uh, woman and ends up getting pregnant. But he doesn't seem to have learned much because <laughs> he's really he just kind of get, you know, get right back into this flirtatious thing with this uh, with this princess. You think that he would be the last person to kind of like get involved with another alien, uh, another alien race among the enterprise crew. And, um, I know that that episode gets a lot to be of, fair. He doesn't seem to learn that lesson from this one either. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so I thought that was kind of amusing. I would have liked to have seen him have a different reaction. It's like, Whoa, the last time I touched an alien woman, I got pregnant. So I'm, you know, <laughs> nothing's going to happen here. Uh, it would have been funny if he did kind of mention that, but, I think this this episode, while it has its it's it's maybe not one of the best uh, of the season, uh, it's still kind of it's still fun. I, I, anytime you have castaways, you know, kind of marooned on a planet, it's a it's kind of a an interesting it's an interesting storyline. Personally, if I would been one of the writers, I would have done something more along the lines because it's it is, the plot is a bit cliched, and I would have done something more along the lines of. To say a guy and a girl from warring races end up crash landing on the planet with one of the members of the Enterprise crew and the Enterprise crew has to try to keep them from killing each other. And he ends up, he or she, it would be great if it was Hoshi, would end up 
kind of like patching things up between the two races, you know, and, and that would add to this theme that progresses throughout the seasons of Enterprise that when the humans come in, they kind of, they're new, they're the new kid on the block and they end up acting as a lot of moderators in some of these older arguments and older grudges because they don't yet have a dog in any of the fights. So they can go in and kind of act as moderators in a lot of things. You see that between the Andorians and the Vulcans and, and the Tellarites and things like that. And it would just be another example of, of why the humans did become instrumental in the formation of the Federation. Very good. Yeah. I, I, Jeff, what do you think on this? Cause this is the first thought that came to my mind when I saw this episode for the first time, do you see this maybe as being an homage to Alana Troyes from the original series? Have you ever thought about it that way? Maybe oh, that's interesting. Um, a little bit. Um, it's also clearly, uh, also to, uh, the perfect mate because it's, you know, the same species and everything. They're, um, kind of setting up some of the conflicts from that episode. They're kind of like in their infant stages in, in this one. And what happens later is just like builds out of what happens in this episode. Yeah. Well, the first, so the I, first time I, I saw it, I just thought of Alana of Troyes because it was a spoiled princess. I mean, it's not exactly the same because mm-hmm. Kirk was supposed to be teaching her how yeah. to act, but it was like a spoiled princess and she's expecting it all to be exactly the right. I don't know. I just kind of get, I get a hint. I can, I can see I some, get of some that, hints yeah. of Alana yeah. Troyes from it. You know, she doesn't. Yeah. It, it's kind of a mix of the two of uh, perfect mate and Alana of Troyes. Cause you know, you, you've got the, the Creosians and the setup of that. And then you've also got the whole spoiled princess angle and it's like they merge the two and you've got, you know, the, like I was saying, the setup for the problems later, uh, with, uh, the, the Creosians, um, that, uh, would not be resolved for another couple of hundred years. Right. So Dennis, what are your final thoughts about this first group of episodes? I think we, I mean, season two doesn't get a lot of attention. It seems like everyone jumps on season one for being the first season and for season three for its, its arc and for season four. But what do you think about this group of episodes for season two? Well, there's certainly a couple of very strong episodes. As you mentioned, there were some, a couple of Hugo nominees in here. There's some interesting stuff going on. It is very episodic and it does kind of ignore the whole temporal Cold War. So I suppose that it could be, if you had to give some episodes a miss, you might be able to skip this one and still kind of like get all the storylines that you needed to comprehend the the run of Enterprise. And yet it would be a shame because you're going to miss some kind of episodic gems here. And what's great about these is that each one of them, as you point out, the episode that has uh, Travis in it, so, uh, so central, they each episode does kind of advance the characters and add more to the characters that we love. You, every character gets quite a bit of, uh, gets some love here in each of these episodes, I suppose. Yep, that is true. Uh, Jeff, what are, what are your final thoughts about this group? There are a lot of really strong episodes. I I think that uh, season two gets treated uh, a bit unfairly by and large. Uh, it's got a lot of things going for it. There are some episodes that seem kind of forgettable, but there's still a lot of good to be found in them. But uh, it, it's just that, you know, they kind of get overlooked when you're comparing it to all these other just amazing episodes from other parts of the uh, the series. 
And so it's kind of caught in the middle there, literally in some cases. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I like I like epi- I like season one. Like we've talked about when we said season one, it could be one of the best first seasons of Star Trek compared to all this all of them. But season two just keeps it going. I think a lot of the criticisms that people have about season two is that they just weren't really going anywhere with it. It just kind of they were just kind of going along and they were still bumbling around basically and getting in trouble. And then that's when the season three arc really came in. Like it was a hyper focus. You know, we have to save the earth. And then season four became more of the prequel. But season two has got some good stuff in it. I mean, it you know, you can go through and pick out specific moments and situations and character uh, interactions that really push the series forward. And I think it just keeps the ball going. You know, it picked up where season one left off and I think it keeps it going right along. Yeah, it started off really strong. I mean, you have, after Shockwave Part 2, you have Cargan Creek, Minefield, Dead Stop, and then you have A Night in Sickbay, which is still a good episode on its own, but it was just like the, the pace was picking up speed and then boom. Right. And I think that's what put off some people uh, initially when it was first airing, because I was hearing a lot of this, those com- kind of complaints from uh, other people when these were first airing was, you know, they see this episode and they're like, okay, the captain's in sick bay with his dog for the entire episode. And it, it they just really bashed it for that. But, uh, you know, I, I think the episode, uh, it was actually a, a very sweet one and it had a lot of, uh, char- good character moments in it. But I think that kind of, I, I think that episode probably would have been better suited later in the season and have something else in at that spot. Yeah. I didn't actually thought about that. Yeah, that's true. So listeners, let us know what you think about this first half group of episodes. Was there an episode that we didn't put enough emphasis on or maybe a situation that you've noticed or that's really stood out to you? Uh, Let us know in the show postings on Facebook in the Babel Conference or whatever Facebook group you happen to be in when you find our show posting. That would be great. I'd love to hear what everyone else thinks about this. Uh, It's been a lot of fun discussing Enterprise Season 2, but this isn't the only topic we've been talking about here on Trek FM. So here's what else you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, The Ready Room. You don't create a better future and then it's just there and it's just stagnant and nothing ever threatens it, right? That's not reality. Yeah, you'd end up with Star Trek The Next Generation if you did that, right? Right, well, exactly. (laughs) And I think that's why a lot of people who love The Next Generation don't like Deep Space Nine because Deep Space Nine challenges that premise. The Orb. Maybe later, maybe he could have come back in like season seven and he was in love with Kira, Odo was in love with Kira, and they could have had an Ambo Jutsu match to see who would win her heart. Women at Warp. Admiral Alan Alda came to visit Captain Coretta Scott King. (laughs) Meanwhile... Morale officer Beyonce is uh, trying to deal with her new Weasley sweater, and <laughs> they're all partying at the first contact party. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can always stream or download the MP3 file from our website at trek.fm and grab the RSS link there as well. 
And if you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. That makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. And if you like what you hear on Warp 5 or on any of the other Trek FM Network shows, please leave us a star rating and a review, and that'll help us greatly increase our visibility for new listeners. And we actually have some new five-star reviews in the U.S. store. So, Jeff, let our listeners know about who left us some five-star reviews. Well, we got two new five-star reviews uh, from the U.S. store on iTunes. First one is from Omega Sam 87 It's titled Future Guy and Other Fun Topics. It says, Explore and discuss Star Trek's underdog series Enterprise as new hosts Jeff Harlan and Floyd Dorsey break down all the action, drama, and wonder of the series with their extensive Trek knowledge and general geekery. These guys give the series a fresh perspective, and it's much appreciated. So prep your shuttle pod and set a course for a great time. Thank you for that, Omega Sam. Yes, thank you. Our other uh, five-star review from uh, the U.S. store we have from Dale Miller. Uh, it says, great show, great podcast. I've been a huge fan of Star Trek Enterprise since it was on the air. Now I've found a great podcast that pays tribute to the show. The cast is knowledgeable and has great insight. Thank you for that. Yeah, thank you, Dale. We sure appreciate that. A, a third five-star review that we actually have, I found it in the Ireland store. So I just looking around, if you look at iTunes and you want to change country, I'm in the U.S., so I'm automatically locked for the U.S., but if I want to change my country, there are a lot of countries to have to click through, and then I have to go in and I find it. So if you leave us a five-star review, be sure to let me know. Tell me, give me a personal message, or you can let me know in the Babel conference, and I will definitely go look it up, and we would love to read it. So the Ireland store, we actually had a five-star review from Irish Trek Fan, and it's titled Warp 5 Review. It says, awesome show. Jeff and Floyd have taken over this show, and it's awesome. Love listening to these guys. The show always sounds fun. So thank you so much, Irish Trek fan. And now we've got three more entries in our Blu-ray review contest. As we've been discussing over several Warp 5s here, um, we're looking for, since the January 1st, at least 20 new iTunes reviews. Right now we're up to number 11. So as soon as we get up to 20, what I was looking for was, is if we could get 20 in this calendar year or make it to September 8th. And everybody probably knows what September 8th is. That's the first air date for the original series. Whichever comes first, do we get 20 before September 8th or is it before December 31st? Either way, I'd like to give away an Enterprise Full Journey Blu-ray set to a lucky listener. And right now we can go down the roster really quick. I've got in the U.S. store, I've got a review from Russell M., a review from SteelerFan7585, Davy K01, Sneven, at Go Vote for Jeff, Omega Sam87, and Dale.Miller. In the Canadian store, I've got a review from Commander Kelby and from DJ Shea. In the UK store, I've got one from False Bill of Caladria. And in the Irish store, we've got Irish Trick Fan. So those are all reviews that have been left for Warp 5 since January 1st. And we're trying to run that number all the way up to 20. See if we can get to September. Maybe we can get it to 30 before September. That would be awesome. But either way, somebody's getting a Blu-ray set. I've got one, and I want to give it away. 
Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron on the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels, along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you can find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Also, if you want to wear your Trek FM fandom, you can find great Trek FM themed merchandise at redbubble.com. Just type Trek FM into the search field. At this time, I always like to thank my co-associate producer, Mike Morrison. You can find Mike on the Babel Conference, Trek FM's dedicated Facebook listeners page. You can also hear Mike over on his new show, Metatrex, where he and Zachary Freeling discuss all things philosophical through a Star Trek lens. And I also like to thank Christopher Jones. He is our Warp 5 editor and producer, and without his help, we could not bring this to you. So thank you so much, Christopher. If you'd like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trek.fm slash contact or go to speakpipe.com slash Trek FM. You can also contact us through Twitter at Trek FM, Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. And as we've mentioned numerous times in this show, the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at Trek FM and click discussion on the menu bar. So thank you so much, Dennis, for coming along. This is the first time you've been on Warp 5, and I really look forward to you coming on more often. So if our listeners want to get in touch with you, how could they find you? Thanks. It's been my pleasure to be here. You can always find me on the Babel Conference, adding my two cents and misspelling most everything. And I'm also the host of Continuing Mission, Trek FM's podcast about fan projects, Star Trek fan projects of all varieties. Yeah, actually, your episode about Starship Grisham really stood out to me because I'm a teacher myself and I teach teachers. And I thought that was really a cool idea. And they're in my I'm actually from Oklahoma and I've not got to see the Starbase Studios. So I can't wait to actually get up there and take a look at that. So that was very interesting to me. Thanks, uh, Jeff. If our listeners would like to ask you about Trekopedia or some other toss fact or maybe they might want to just shoot you a trivia question how can they get in touch with you well if you don't have access to an atavicron or even a temporal discriminator that seems to need some uh, tinfoil bunny ears you can always find me on the babel conference on facebook i am the co-host of the network for both standard orbit uh, the dedicated uh, original series show and here on warp 5 i'm also on twitter at harlander and i'm supporter of the network through patreon you can also check out my website. It's been called The Grand Unified Theory of Star Trek at trekopedia.com and my independent comic books at bandwidthcomics.com or search on Facebook for Bandwidth Comics. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can always find me on Facebook. I'm in several Star Trek groups and I post show announcements there and I'm I'm reading there every day. I'm posting often. The easiest place, though, is the Babel Conference. Uh, that's our actual our Trek FM listeners page on Facebook. So, Jeff... Dennis, uh, let's head on down here. Maybe uh, I'm kind of in the mood for some homemade chocolate chip cookies, and we're not talking about those replicated kind. You know, Chef does it real down there. So, Jeff, let's go ahead and get out of here. Yeah, let's go. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time for another episode of Warp 5. Warp 5.